This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, what's up, everybody? Y'all doing good? Everybody ready for this? All right, we started a new series last week called Habits of the Heart. Man, it was really good. I can't wait to kind of continue in that series today. I'm going to talk about uh, the habit of placing God at the center of everything. Okay, this is maybe one of the most important ideas that I'm ever going to talk about with you, that Jesus can be the center of everything. And I need to make a habit out of putting him there, putting him in that place. And to do that, I'm going to look at the lives of two kings from the Old Testament, King Ahab. And then in comparison to Ahab, we're going to look at King Josiah. Now, throughout the reading, we're going to read through the overviews of their kingship. When the kings are introduced in First and Second Kings, the Bible gives us an overview of their lives. We're going to read through those in just a second. But there are certain things that are mentioned that I just want you to kind of understand what it is. And the first one is that it mentions the God of Baal. Baal was a God that was worshipped in the surrounding communities. And out of intermarrying and certain cultural interactions, the God of Baal becomes integrated into the life of Israel. It's a false god, and it's idol worship. And then there's another term, the Asherah pole. Now, both Baal and the Asherah pole have a distinct connection to fertility and worshiping around topics that relate to sex. So let me just say this. When you hear Asherah pole, you can think of stripper pole. Okay, I'm just saying, if you really want to understand what we're talking about, okay, not very, this is not good stuff, okay, and you're going to read that they brought these things into the house of God, or brought them into places of worship. So would you stand as we read through, beginning with the overview of King Ahab in 1 Kings 16, all right? In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. And then fast forward to 2 Kings 22 for King Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. He did away with the idolatrous priest appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside of Jerusalem and he burned it there and he ground it into powder and he scattered the dust over the the graves of the common people. Let's pray. Father, as we reflect on the lives of these two kings, 
may we today encounter the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, as we encounter you today, we give you permission to confront us, to correct us, to convict us, and to change us, that we might be compelled to take a step of faith in a moment like this today. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. How about touch your neighbor and say, don't be an Ahab. Now look back at him and say, what did you just call me? Today I want to give you a tale of two different kings. To get to this moment, we've got to trace a little background. We all know how the story starts. It's Adam and Eve in the garden of perfection and provision. And then they rebel against God and all of a sudden what was good is now not good. And sin has entered the world and they're expelled from the garden. When God begins the redemptive story, He does not start a church. He starts a family. He goes to Abraham. Abraham, look at the sky. As many stars as there are in the sky, that's how many kids you will one day have. Which reminds me of something that is paramount in its importance. What happens in our homes is more important than what happens outside. If you're a parent, you're raising kids. That is a holy and sacred task. God starts a family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And by the time it gets four generations removed, it's no longer just a family. It's now a people who find themselves enslaved in Egypt. And God raises up Moses to send his people out of slavery and into a land that he's promised to them. See, what started as a family becomes a people and then it becomes a nation. And God raises up leaders, kings, to guide those people within this nation. It starts with King Saul. Saul is not a very good king. He's very selfish. And so it quickly transfers to King David, who becomes the template for a good king. While David didn't get it all right, David continued to turn his heart to God, to turn his heart to God, to turn his heart to God. And then if you've been around, we've heard about King Solomon. Solomon, who David's son takes over after him, builds the temple, but rejects God. And after Solomon, the kingdom divides into two different kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of King Judah, right? This is the two different kingdoms that are there. And Ahab was a king in the northern kingdom. I don't want to make this statement as we get started. Ahab was an evil king because God was not at the center of his kingdom. He was an evil king because God was not at the center of his kingdom. I don't use the word bad, unsuccessful. I use the word evil. Why? Because that's the way that the Bible described Ahab. They didn't say prideful, selfish, evil. Ahab was an evil king. From the very beginning, he rejects the commands of God. Instead of marrying somebody who loves God, he marries Jezebel who worships Baal. You've heard of the name, that's the Jezebel. Well, this is where it comes from. And out of her manipulation in his life, just like King Solomon, who had his wives turn his heart away from God, Jezebel turns his heart away from God. And he begins to follow Baal and worship Baal and build temples for Baal. Many of us know the stories of Elijah in the Scripture. 
Elijah, a very famous prophet in the Old Testament. But God uses almost exhaustively Elijah to come against King Ahab. The reason we have an Elijah is because of how bad King Ahab was. The first moment we see Elijah, God raises up Elijah to prophesy a drought. There's a drought coming. It won't rain. And then he runs away. And if you know the story, he gets very depressed. He's very scared. They're going to kill me. God ministers to him. His life has changed. He actually goes back, prays in years later, prays in rain. This is to challenge Ahab about his leadership, to get him to surrender to God. Then again, there's another moment. Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal, this false god that Jezebel has brought in, these foreign ministers to teach people about following Baal. And all, Elijah's just like, bring them all together. And there's this moment on Mount Carmel where he challenges them and he literally calls down fire from heaven to consume a sacrifice when the prophets of Baal are incapable of doing anything like it. Proving to the people that God is real and their God is just an idol. Again, confronting Jezebel, confronting Ahab. And there's this moment even after that. It's, it's so ridiculous. King Ahab has everything. His wife gets kind of sees a piece of property. It's like, we need that. It's a beautiful piece of property. Y'all ever had that moment? Like, we need to buy that house. That is such a good-looking place. We need a vacation home there. Jezebel sees a property. It's a vineyard and decides we need to have it. Ahab, we don't, you, you don't even have to pay. If he doesn't want to sell it, that's fine. We can take it. And she ends up manipulating, sending a, a military entourage to kill the man who owns it. And then God sends Elijah to Ahab. 1 Kings 21. Say to Ahab, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is God saying to Elijah, you say this to Ahab. This is what the Lord says in the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood. Dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. And Ahab said to Elijah, you found me, my enemy. And he says, I found you. Because you sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And I'm going to bring disaster on you. This is what God says. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading this, when I think of like what's going to happen next, it's got to be like Ahab falls over from a heart attack, right? That's what, that's what it should be. God zaps him, he's dead. But that's not what happens. As a matter of fact, in this moment of humiliation, as he's being confronted about what he's done wrong, Ahab, the scriptures record, humbles himself. And God relents in his discipline for a time. See, in the life of Ahab, we see something that I call the cycle of pride. The cycle of pride. And it's something that we see in the life of King Ahab. And if we're honest, maybe in your and my life. It starts with step one. You get humbled. You know, humility is a choice. It's not listed in the fruits of the Spirit. God doesn't 
force us to be humble. He gives us the choice to be humble. In life, you can humble yourself or you can get humiliated. The word humiliated means to be made humble. In this moment, Ahab is being humiliated. And what happens after that? Step two is he responds in humility. And I want to clarify what I mean by humility. This is situational humility. This is not authentic humility. This is not an attitude of the heart. This is a posture in a circumstance. I just got my butt handed to me. I've got nothing left. I've been humiliated. What else am I going to do? This is like the guy who struggles with anger. And again, gets angry at home and yells at his wife and loses his temper. Only to come back, tail between his legs, I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't have done it. And what happens after that, stage three, is that there's temporary peace. There's temporary peace. After a few days, the wife finally, I don't want to be mad anymore, let's move on. There's peace for a while. But that peace leads to these feelings where everything's okay. It's all back to normal. And that humility that was there when you were getting your butt handed to you is no longer there. Why? Because it was situational. It was just situational humility. And what's back now is what was there all along, pride. And this is the pivotal moment in the cycle of pride. You reject God and you go your own way. Out of pride. It's all going good. It's going to be all right. And then you get humbled. And you live in that cycle. This is what Ahab's life looked like. In that moment, Ahab responded to the word of the Lord from Elijah with humility. And it led to three years of peace. Three years of no wars. No conflict. The kingdom is cruising along. We're doing what we're supposed to. But at the end of three years, Ahab kind of feeling a little puffed up. I'm good. We're good. I can do whatever I, can do whatever I want. Hey! You remember when that guy stole that piece of property from us? Let's go get it back! We need to go to war. We need to go to war. And what he does is he brings in a group of false prophets. These are people that Classically, we understand that they were paid to say to the king what the king wanted to hear. And the sad thing is that some of us have false prophets in our own lives. We have people, we only consult them when we know that they're going to tell us what we want to hear. So it goes to the false prophets. Should I go to war? And they're like, yes, king, go to war. It's what you should do. And it goes to the king of Judah. So remember, the kingdoms are divided. And there's times when they're very peaceful and cooperative. And then there's times when they're not. This is one of the times when they are peaceful and cooperative. He goes to the king of Judah. And he says, listen, do you remember when this guy stole this piece of property that belonged to us? Let's go together and let's get it back. And he says, that's a great idea. Have you consulted the Lord? Come on, let's talk. And he brings the false prophets in. And it's like the king of Judah is like, nah, dude, I ain't playing this game. I know what you're doing. Like, no, no. And he looks at him and he says literally, is there not one left 
in Israel that can speak for God. And King Ahab goes, yeah, there is one. But he never says anything nice about me. That's literally what he says. And the king of Judah goes, hey, no, no, bring him in. Bring him in. So they bring in the prophet. His name is Micaiah. And Micaiah stands in front of King Ahab. Ahab is going to put him in prison for what he says. He says, should we go to war? And it's like he knows the dance. He, and he goes, fine, do whatever you want to do. And then the king of Judah goes, no, really, what does the Lord say? And he looks at Ahab and he says, if you go to war, you will die. You will die. That's the consequence of you disobeying the word of the Lord. If you go to this war, you will die. And Ahab rejects the word of the Lord, leads his people into battle. And the Bible says that while he is on the battlefield, an arrow finds its way through the battle into a small crack in his armor and pierces deep into his chest. His men rush him off to the vineyard that he stole from Naboth. Where in the middle of that vineyard, Ahab bleeds and dies as dogs lick up his blood, fulfilling the word of the Lord spoken through Elijah. Ahab had the habit of consistently rejecting complete surrender to God. It begins very early on when he rejects God's decrees about who he should marry, and he marries Jezebel. He begins to worship other gods, and then he makes his kingship and his leadership all about himself. And I want to make this statement, and while this is going to hurt your heart, you need to hear this from somebody who loves you enough to tell you this. Partial surrender is not surrender. Ahab had surrendered parts but he consistently has this habit of rejecting complete and total surrender to God. And I know that this is true, and you know it's true, because in our room right now, those of us who are married would never be satisfied with the spouse who looks and goes, yeah, I'll surrender most of my life to you, but I'm going to keep these things for me. Partial surrender is not surrender. And Ahab had a habit of only partially surrendering. Josiah was totally different. Josiah was a good king because God was the center of his kingdom. God was the center of Josiah's kingdom. Josiah is a very interesting study. He becomes king when he's eight years old. And so for a period of time, He's ruling through regents and people who are reigning over him and telling him what he should do. But at 26, the first thing that Josiah does as a grown man is he orders that the temple be remodeled. In other words, we're, we're hundreds of years away from Solomon. and There's been a lot of wear and tear. And he essentially says, we're not stealing money from the temple. From now on, the money that comes, we're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to build it up. And as they're renovating the temple, they find something that had been lost for years. They find the Bible. Which means, for years, they had been following 
forms and functions of rituals without having any deep connection to the God of those forms and functions. Which I certainly hope is not the way that your relationship with God looks. They found the Bible. I think this is so obvious, but I want to make it plain. If you'll commit to building the temple, you'll find the real treasure. Josiah committed, we're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to build the temple up. And in that moment, they found the book of the law. Now, where's the temple today? You're the temple. The Bible says you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you will commit in your heart that you're going to build your relationship with God, you will find in this life real and lasting treasure. So Josiah has the book of the law brought in. Now listen to this. This is what happens. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. This was an outward sign of repentance. He's so moved by hearing what he had not known that God wanted from him that he begins to tear his clothes as a sign of repentance. Josiah then publicly renews his covenant with God, renews Israel's covenant with God, and goes on a rampage. He destroys idols, destroys temples, even going all the way back to what King Solomon had built to appease his wives. In 2 Kings 23, look at this. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and spiritists, the household gods, the idols, and all other detestable things seen in true Judah and Jerusalem. He did this to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah the priest discovered in the temple of the Lord. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. Y'all listen to me. Josiah developed the habit of complete surrender to God. All of those actions could have reactions. If I tear down this temple, will the people rebel? If I take away that idol, will they rebel? All of the, But Josiah wasn't concerned about that. Because his king was the king of all kings. And he had completely surrendered to the will of God. He had a habit of saying, I will surrender that to God. See, at Vortex we say this. That Jesus wants to be the center of your life. Jesus wants to be the center, the epicenter of your life. Not just your number one priority. Not just your, the, the main thing. He wants to be the main thing in every other thing. He wants to be the center of your family and your friends and your finances. And if you look at the difference between these two men, if Jesus is only the center of parts of your life, that's partial surrender. And some of us, that's all we've ever known. Jesus, you can tell me how to do this, but I'm, I'm keeping these things to myself. You don't touch these things. I'll give you these things. That's partial surrender. But when Jesus is the center of all parts of your life, that's complete Surrender. That's complete surrender. This is the habit of making Jesus the center of everything. So let's use today Josiah and Ahab to make a few observations as we wrap this up today about the habit 
of placing God at the center. And the first one, I want you to see this, is every man will crown a king. Every man will crown a king. Ahab, while he was crowned a king, got to choose to crown the king of his life. And he crowned himself. Josiah, reigning as king over Judah, decided that I will not be king. I will crown the king of all kings to be my king. Whatever you crown as king has supreme authority in your life. It is what says move and you move. It is what says stop and you stop. It is what says start and you start. It has supreme authority. And you can crown a lot of different things. You can crown a parent as your king. You can crown as a parent a child as your king. You can crown a friend, a celebrity. You can even, as Ahab did, you can crown yourself as king. And the problem with it is none of those will work. Because every one of those is an insufficient resource. Every one of those, your perspective, no matter how brilliant you are, no matter how informed and experienced you might be, your perspective is limited and flawed. That's why we need Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, this may be the most bold statement ever uttered by a human being. Jesus is saying, you want to get to God? The only way to God is through me. I'm the way. You're wondering about what's real and what's not. Look, truth is now alive. I am the truth. In a culture that has so much to say about what being fully alive is, Jesus says, no, look at me. I'm the embodiment of authentic life. Only King Jesus has the truth that shows us the way to life. He is the King of kings. The King of kings. And Ahab, with all the authority in his life, chose to co-opt that authority and use it for himself. But Josiah, radically different, he crowned in his life the king of kings. God, you're supreme. I want your will and your way, whatever it would cost me. Every man will crown a king. And number two, look at this, you'll make that decision every moment of every day. You'll make that decision every moment of every single day. There are moments of decision where we surrender our lives to God and we give God control of our lives, but that's not a one-time decision. That's not the one and done. That's the start, and then it begins to happen over. I've got to keep surrendering. I've got to keep going after God. Jesus said it this way in Luke 9. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross daily. 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 This isn't once. This is every day. Take up your cross daily and then follow me. Y'all listen to me. Every day we have to be willing to make a confession about our lives. And it's really simple. I'm not king. I'm not in charge. 
I don't have supreme authority. I'm not the final say. No matter how smart, influential, and successful you are, to deny yourself means to say, I'm going to say where I could make that decision, where I could make that choice, where I have the means to pursue that. I could, but I'm going to deny myself. I am not king. Sadly, some of us actually think that God needs our help. Like God needs my help figuring out how to do my finances. Yeah, I'm going to use your principles and add mine in there. God needs my help at how to do family. Yeah, I, I get it what you're saying, but I'm going to do it this way and my way. Like God needs, listen, King Jesus doesn't need to share the throne with you. There's never been a moment in your life that God needed you to come upon the throne and would you help me think? There's not, there's never been a moment for that. He is all sufficient without you. And until Jesus is the center of everything, he's not fully your king. And this is a massive issue for many of us. And we don't see it. And I'm hoping in the next few moments I expose it. Until Jesus is the center of everything, he's not fully your king. Now let me clarify that. If you're doing finances your own way, right, you're not giving, you're being selfish with the way you do money, please understand, God is not in total, total control of your life. Right? If, if you're right now, you're doing friendship your own way. Right? You're friends with these people who are influencing you to not follow the things of God. I'm giving time to this person over here who's pulling me away from my spouse. And my, if you're not doing friendship God's way, you're doing it your way. God's not in total control of your life. If you're doing internet access, parenting, you name it, if you're doing it your way, God's not in total control. And why is that important? Because only when God is in control of the process is He in control of the outcome. And so many of us want what God can produce, but we don't want to give God control of the process. I want your blessings. I want the kind of family we could have. I want the kind of marriage we could have. I want the kind of finances or business that I could have. But I'm not willing to let go and let you lead me. But only when God is in control of the process is He in control of the outcome. You cannot get God's blessings without surrendering to God. It's a lie. It's a lie. And the enemy will tempt you to think, I mean, I've given him that. Isn't that good enough? John 10, Jesus said this in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There's an enemy that wants to steal every good gift that God wants to give you. And his main tactic is to get you to believe a lie. And maybe you've believed that lie. That partial surrender will get me there. And today you find yourself in this moment living in partial surrender. And I want you to hear this. You need a new habit in your heart. You need a habit of complete surrender. 
because the only way to authentic life is complete surrender to King Jesus. It's the only way. See, Jesus has a lot of names in the Bible. The Alpha, the Omega, the Son of God, the Lamb of God. The Friend of Sinners. But I love the name that He's the King of Kings. Because when you look at the stark contrast between Ahab and Josiah, you see two men who were kings but one who refused to crown the king of kings as the king of his life. And because of that, he ended up in destruction with his legacy ripped out away from him. And one who lived as if God were real and what he expected of me is real and it's best that I give it all to him. And he developed a habit of complete surrender to God. And here we are literally thousands of years later talking about his legacy I want you to have that kind of legacy in your life but it only comes when Jesus is the center of everything thanks for listening this podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle North Carolina for more information on our church we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com